This is the Realm of Agape Christian Church. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. We are yet in our Lawful Works of Grace series. We have a message that will encourage not only the young worshipers, but you know, because we do want the next generation to hold and grasp the baton. We are handing them and they have to carry on. We have to be able to tell them, carry on. We shouldn't have old folks not wanting to pass the baton. You should be already training and bringing them up, bringing them up in the most holy faith, my God. And they have to be a light to their peers. They have to carry the torch with them, my God. And they have to be able to give a reason for the hope. Are we training them up? Are we being a good example? Are we teaching? Are we exhorting? Are we rebuking, reproving? Are we loving through all of that? Amen. Because yes. I could get more from honey than a poisonous bitter cup. So we got to bring it with the loving concern that we care. Not that we're just trying to have some egoistic dogmatic hierarchy above them and make them feel small. My God. We want them to know that the God in me loves you and he sent me with this message. It should have been already precursored by your loving life. And then you will be made approachable and they will hear. My God. We make them have a stiff neck and a deaf ear sometimes the way we are. We got to do right, older folk. Amen help the young people to see the truth and experience it in us. And when we fail, repent and give your testimony as to why you were wrong and why you were not really showing forth the realness of God. It was your own self. My God, we can't act like that's God. They're not going to want God. Is that God? I don't want that. I don't blame them. Amen. <laughs> we got to do what's right. My God. Let's look at Isaiah right quick because Isaiah was a young man. Uh, we're looking at him when he was 15 years old, called by God, and lived to be an old man of about 85 years old. So you start real young with this thing, amen? amen. Isaiah 41.10 in the NLT says, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. You know, Isaiah helps us to see that we could all use a good holy prep before God's son returns for his spotless, wrinkle-free church. Too many souls are in erroneous pursuit, savoring that which temporarily satisfies, but eternally destroys. Only Jesus can satisfy eternally, but in the eyes of our innate ungodliness, his process may seem like a misdirection. Jesus Christ should be the spiritual flavor that we savor for the salvation of our soul. Why? Because what you savor will influence your behavior. Let's talk about that. What you savor will influence your behavior. 
Isaiah grew up in Jerusalem among those of the family of David. He began to preach when he was just 15 years old. He lived to be an old man of 85, and all of his life he served the Lord. And as a young man growing up, King Uzziah was on the throne. He was a godly king who later sinned and became a leper. All this had made an impression on the young Isaiah. And in the same year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah went up to the temple one day to worship. As he waited quietly there in the house of God, he saw a wonderful vision. Later he wrote, quote, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, end quote. Above the throne stood angelic beings called seraphim. Uh, each one had six wings. With two wings, he covered his face. With two wings, he covered his feet. And with the other two, he flew. The seraphim cried to one another, quote, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole temple seemed to shake as they spoke, and it was filled with smoke. Before the holiness of God, even the seraphim covered their faces and could not look on the vision. Neither could Isaiah. He was very much afraid. In the light of God's holiness, he saw his own sinful heart. That's what happens when you really need God. And he cried out, I deserve only to die because I have unclean lips, and so do my people. Perhaps he was thinking of King Uzziah, whose leprosy uh, came upon him because he was outside of the safety of God's will. And he trespassed into sin. And when you go out into outer darkness, outside of the fellowship of God, that is just what happens. The devil is out there waiting for you in his more realness. He lures us with a facade that will draw us by our own lust and we become enticed and we go out and savoring the things that are really hellish but they look heavenly and we go out there and we, be, we become deceived and fallen and entrapped and the devil uh, seeks to uh, captivate us and carry us out in yonder place far away from the peaceful shore. He wants to separate so he can annihilate. But now Isaiah said in the midst of the presence of God, I am unclean too, and as bad as a leper in God's sight, and so are my people. I know that this is true, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It tells us in the New Testament that it was the Lord Jesus in his glory whom Isaiah actually saw in his vision. John 12, verses 38 through 41 in the NLT read, this is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? But the people couldn't believe, for as Isaiah also said, verse 40, the Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so that their eyes cannot see and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and, and have me heal them. Verse 41, Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this because he saw the future and spoke of the Messiah's glory. 
Don't be deceived. What, what these words are saying, God is not picking on and bullying folks and causing them to uh, be in a state where he can crush them. But a lot of times, you know, God has so much long suffering and patience to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. But we go on and on and on. And at a point, you know, when sin is uh, conceived all the way and does what it came to do, it's going to bring forth what? Death. People hold on to it and hold on to it. And God is tenderly calling, 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 calling. But we ignore, ignore, ignore. We harden our hearts. We put our finger in our spiritual ear. We don't want to hear him. We don't want to hear him. And we go on our deceived merry way. But we find out it wasn't a merry way after all. It was a hell world after all. It's a hell, hell world. And we grope about in darkness and can't find our way because we left the light for our feet and path way back somewhere. Uh, we're in trespass zone now. We can't find our way back. But God said, when you seek after me, you're going to find me because he's going to come closer. And you can see a little glimpse of light. You come a little closer to the light. He's coming even closer to you. And the light gets brighter and brighter and you find him. But when you're lost like that, it shows that you did not want to pursue him at all. Now, in the Apostle John's gospel, it is, re it is revealed to us how Isaiah's audience had hearts that were hardened by their own sinful choices. Just like the audience of Jesus in the New Testament, uh, as they were demonstrating, these souls were inexcusable um, because according to God's righteous judgment, uh, how God is and he goes on and on and tries to call us in we will be without excuse because he will give us so many chances uh, when the Messiah's glory is revealed to us it shines light on our imperfections and at the same time that glory also comes to us to reveal a new threshold of hope a way of escape a way out of no way that leads to life and peace we have a free will to accept his way or reject it. We may be good in our own eyes, but our weak, finite existence is rightfully perceived for what it is when the eternal and all-powerful light of the Creator's presence overshadows us, as it did Isaiah. Isaiah was a good young man in his own eyes and in the sight of the people in Jerusalem. But when he saw this wonderful vision of the Lord Jesus, he knew that he was sinful indeed. We could be right in our own eyes, but until we go before the presence of the Lord, we know the real deal. Amen. The book of Isaiah is often referred to as the fifth gospel. Uh, it is intensely messianic. And like Jesus, the living word, it serves as an example of the structure and purpose of the whole Bible. It's like a little Bible inside the Bible, which is second to the book of Psalms in amount of chapters. As I quote the following overview of the book of Isaiah, a poetic but also prophetic excerpt from a trusted theologian, Dr. Larry Crabb, uh, let us think about how we respond to God's intentions with our own natural inclinations. And I quote, for 39 chapters in Isaiah, Lord, you tell more about what's wrong with your people than anything else. I've got to tell you, Lord, if I received a 66-page letter, a love letter from my wife, where she detailed all my faults in the first 39 pages, 
I expect to be reading her terms of divorce by the next 27. The message you deliver in Isaiah's first 39 chapters, and you repeat it over and over, is that you're holy and I'm not. It sounds like you're getting ready to tell me we're through. And it makes me want to find someone else perfect or maybe less fussy who'd be more likely to put up with me. Then all of a sudden you surprise me. You spend the last 27 chapters talking mostly about our wonderful future together and how much you want me to join you in looking forward to it and how someone you simply call your servant will make it all happen. God, I feel slapped and then hugged, slapped hard and then hugged tightly. It catches me off guard. Courtships usually begin by identifying what one person finds attractive in another, then pursuing the other for a long-term relationship. You are so different. Maybe that's what you mean when you say you're holy and you follow the same pattern in your 66 love letters. 39 slaps, then 27 hugs. Those so-called slaps are part of God's tough love process. His holy love. See? Church, we don't see love the way our Heavenly Father sees it. That's what this poetic, prophetic writing is trying to show us. His love seems like a long, dirty laundry list leading to a brutal divorce. However, the great holy hope in those papers is his son. We have to learn the person of Jesus, not just the idea of him. Uh, he was offered in the place of us so that we could have a way out of uh, the brutality and the uh, displeasure, eternal displeasure and punishment of sin, eternally separated from God. He saved us from that, thank God. Jesus came to be our substitute uh, the payment for the sin to help us to avoid such catastrophe. My God, he was offered faithfully by the Father. That way made it a process of being made in God's likeness. We have to uh, not look at that just to get out of hell, but to be made in God's likeness. Because if we don't go all the way in the discipleship of Christ, being made over and transformed we are duping our own selves and we won't be transformed completely. We will just have an idea in our mind and it won't go down into our heart and give, you know, produce root and fruit. Right. Thank God we have to be made over. Made over. We, need, we need more than just an idea. Right. Right. Jesus is not just a concept, no. but he is God. Yes. And he comes to make us over and to save us from our own self. That's what we need. The living Savior. The living process of being made in God's likeness. Thank God. The author says God wants us to be made over. Jesus came to fix things. This change is not subject to earthly negotiation. God's love or agape makes people holy, not just fuzzy and happy, you know. We are first given a holy mind to realize that we are unholy. But even more important, the process transforms our heart into the heart of God. 
His spirit will not allow us to love unholiness since the pure love of God does not share hearts with sinful ways. We are to live with a holy mindset. And uh, when we let God come in and do what he came to do, we will begin to honor a, a sinless life more than our pain and emptiness. First, we just look at the pain and the emptiness, but we need something else to look at, a greater hope, a hope of e eternal glory. And we all know that there's a better way, like the book of Hebrews puts it, thank God, and we can look to Jesus, the author and what finisher of our faith. Then we can experience the transforming power of God's love, not just have the idea of God's love. Not just saying Jesus is love, but you're going to experience it firsthand. Only holy people will live well as God intended. Only holy people love like him. Uh, we need to know this. Our innate earthly mind and spirit sees things in opposition to God's way. We want hugs throughout eternity without having to change. We want God to be an enabling parent. Just give me all these rewards and no kind of discipline at all. Get justified for everything we do, whether it's right or wrong. But according to God's holy character, we cannot detach holiness from love. You know, and I agree with Dr. Crabb about God's love. Quote, love is reduced to mere sentiment when people fail to see their unholiness. And mere sentiment changes no one. It has no power to transform unholy people into people who love. That's why the Bible says, uh, you know, you have passed from death to life because you love the brethren in 1 John. Thank God. This is what God is saying in Isaiah. Uh, to all who have ears to hear, no matter what is happening to you, your worst problem is in you. And that problem is not how badly you feel. It is how poorly you love. How poorly we reciprocate God's love. Your failure to love God above all else and to love others at any cost to yourself defies your unholiness. I told my wife, uh, yes, you are a good wife. She said, I try to put everybody first. You know, I barely take care of myself sometime on Sunday morning. I'm running out of the house, you know, and doing this and doing that. I said, but baby, you need to take care of yourself. Love you. Amen. Love you or we're through. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> but no, no husband want the wife want their wife to barely have time for themselves. Then they're gonna look toe up from the floor. No, no, no. She need to take care of herself. When you recognize your unholiness and own it without excuse, because I had to do that to my kids a lot of times. Say sorry to them. You know, ask for forgiveness. Big old bad daddy asking for forgiveness to the little kid in the bed. My God. They said, that's all right. They hugged my neck. I said, oh, they melted me. You unravel me, like that song said. <laughs> Thank God. So I had to recognize it. I showed them you got to recognize it. Amen. And then your ears are going to be open to love. You're going to hear God better instead of being the big bad one. You're God. You know, you don't need God. But you got to make yourself melt down. Amen. Say to yourself, soul, you're going to bend down. You're going to obey God. You're going to, amen, honor God. You're going to open yourself up to God. I feel a little tug 
in my innate sinfulness. But no, I'm not going to give ear to that. I'm not going to give energy and pursuit to that. I'm going to ignore you. I'm going to close the door on that, pull the plug on that, and put the energy towards what God's spirit is trying to tell me to do and say. Amen and feel and think. Thank yeah. God. Mm -hmm. I got to give in to that. See, then you'll be on the narrow road relating to the holy love of God. Uh, there's no other way to get to God. Amen. Through the love, accepting the love of Jesus and letting that love transform you. Three main things you better remember of Isaiah. Judgment, comfort, and hope. Yes, there's judgment in Isaiah. Then comes comfort and ends on a hopeful note. Uh, I used to discipline my kids like that. Judgment came, yes. But then I explained in a comforting way of what happened and then uh, gave them hope. Amen. That, uh, no, you don't have to stay like that. You can change. You don't have to touch the hot oven anymore. I don't want you hurt anymore. Don't do it. Amen. My God, don't, put, don't try to put that little piece of metal into the electrical socket. No, no, no. You know, <laughs> we try to protect our kids. Amen. You put all the safety things all through the house. And then we train them why we did it, amen, so they will have wisdom to know the difference. Not to just be so sheltered where they don't even know the truth. You have to tell them about the truth. And sometimes I had to share the bitter, scary truth to them before I really wanted to because they're about to face all kinds of things right at the schoolhouse. Yeah, right. My God, the government school. And I had to reveal things to them that I didn't really want to yet. And then they would say, wow, that was really scary, Dad, this and that. You know, but Dad had to give you the medicine so that you could be prepared and have your shield of faith, my God. But sometimes the devil will come and blindside, my God, and be in your little friends at school and they're doing adult, crooked, evil things. Big, demonic, eternally evil things that a little kid shouldn't know about. And then they come like little henchmen doing uh, whatever the devil has commissioned for them to do. And then your kids are privy to all of that. And then they have to come home, be debriefed and healed, delivered and set free once again on a daily. That's a shame. But this is the reality of life. You have to be on your post, parents. Amen. Parenting is a prayerful thing. Parenting is a call from God. You should not become a parent haphazardly. But it is a spiritual thing. It comes from the commissioning desk of God in the heavens. And God will bless you to be a blessing in this earth and be able to be fruitful and multiply. But he does not want you to bring in, oh God, all kind of, you know, more detriment. Are you helping the earth or making it worse? Mm -hmm. Seems like the people that can barely have a kid uh, are the ones that should have the greater amount of kids. Right. And those maybe that shouldn't seem like they have all of them. <laughs> My God. And that's how the devil will have it, to have confusion in the earth. And then the little bit of kids that are trying to do the straight and narrow thing, because few there be that find it. Right. They got to have all the big crowds of those who are walking in the broad way that leads to death. My God. But God will strengthen you. Amen. Don't be discouraged. You're going to be like Isaiah, one of the few. But you got to hold on. Amen. Because judgment is coming. We got to realize as God's servant, even in the uh, New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae that faith to believe God is good uh, in any circumstance and love that pays any price to bless another. 
both spring from hope. Without God's judgment, his comfort means nothing. Without comfort, there is no hope. And without hope, faith yields to doubt and cynicism and love suffocates in the pain of living. We have to give kids the truth. Sometimes it's a bitter pill and we have to water it down a little bit and make it into a children's aspirin. But we still have to give it to them. That's right, but judgment is out there. Judgment is revealed in Isaiah for that reason. Uh, in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, we can hear God pronounce the severest judgments on our desire for anything more than him and on our refusal to trust him when life gets rough. There's also the comfort in Isaiah. We can hear God provide comfort to his judged people. Comfort that can be received only by those who are deeply troubled by how worthy they are of judgment. People who know their desires far more than God are treasonous. Uh, notice that the comfort God provides, described in chapters 40 to 55 of Isaiah, the comfort is not the comfort of empathy or affirmation. It is the comfort of forgiveness rooted in his holy love and of healing available only through his power. The comfort of healing he provides for people ruined by their uh, self-centeredness. The effect of God's comfort is to direct our eyes away from our emptiness uh, not in denial, but in hope of eternal fullness. The Holy Ghost should fulfill us, which then releases us to demand nothing from anyone and give everything to everyone. Like God's Son, Jesus, the Gracious One. Amen. Then there's hope in Isaiah. Hope. God's final 11 chapters in Isaiah, 56 through 66, point to hope. He does not cure our unholiness by overlooking or understanding it. That's why we it's a futile thing to try to understand everything that happened to us. Uh, to overlook it would be to miss the spot on the x-ray that will destroy you. God won't do that. Right? To understand it in light of what we've suffered would be to excuse it. He does not heal our selfishness by affirming our value. He solves our deepest problem with his self-sacrificing, reconciling embrace that forgives all that is unholy within us. After reading Isaiah 53, we can readily see the beauty of God's grace as revealed by his son, whom without God's spirit opening our eyes, we would see as unattractive someone to be despised set aside. God's Son reveals the beauty of holy love, a love that absorbs everything evil in another with no thought of protecting oneself from the pain that evil can inflict. Through the beauty of holy love, God transforms our lives into holy joy. He forms us into holy delights. Thank God. We ought to see ourselves that way and don't have these complexes from hell where we look down upon ourselves and are always gloomy and depressed. But God is saying, I'm the lifter up of your head. Amen. Your enemies will be scattered. Hallelujah. Come to God and bless the holy name of God and the glory of God will shine through you. And what happens? 
Darkness cannot comprehend light, and it just is a shadow behind you. Get thee behind me, Satan. Yes, sir. In Jesus' name. Yes, sir. See, in all of that, without complete wholeness, we will continue to do all to avoid God's correction. Like John 3 says, people don't come to the light lest they be reproved because they are so comfortable in their sin. But God wants to shine a light to show forth who we really are so that we can know and see God's hope and eternal joy above us so that we'll reach up to God and get out of the muck and mire. He's reaching down to pick us up to place our feet on the solid ground. But we don't want to be saved that way. We're comfortable. Why do we need a savior? The devil, the devil will fool you. You don't need a savior. You're comfortable right where you are. Why are you coming with all of that? Why you got to be selling you all of that? You're comfortable already. You're cozy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And all the time we are in pain. But we are medicating it with more higher level things that make us more deceived and more locked in the chains of, of hell. That's how the devil works. But God wants to pull us out of that rut. Yes. Out of that downward spiral that leads to the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone. God did not create us for that environment. He created us to be with him forever. Yes. Hallelujah. To be protected by him. To be lit up by him. Yes. But the devil want to give you a false light. He is a light. Lucifer is means light, but he's not the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And the devil got mad about it. Who are you talking about the light of the world? I'm light. No, you're not the light of the world, though. You're not more than Jesus. Hallelujah. But Jesus is God. Hallelujah. So the devil will come as an angel of light to deceive. And he will sound like he's the right thing. Feel like he's the right thing. Look like he's the right thing. Smell like he's the right thing. My God, but we got to open our eyes when the light of God comes and gives us the wisdom of heaven to discern the difference. God said you got to know the difference between the devil's light and the real light. Thank God and the word of God will be a two-edged sword. It will cut asunder soul and spirit. You will have the discernment from heaven. And you will be able to judge every spirit by the word of God. And we're almost done. Hallelujah. See, when, when, when we are troubled by our separation from God and begin to turn from that which is actually harming us in, in deceptive ways, we will uh, gratefully seek salvation when we really see the real deal of what the devil's work is doing. It seems all good, but when God reveals what it really is, we're going to say, hey, I could have been doing better all this time. We're going to be like the, the prodigal son in the pig pen. My God, we're going to say, my father's house has way better than this. My God, and you're going to shake yourself and get out of that mess. My God. See, only troubled people like that can truly hear God's story of love. Because they're sick and tired of what? Being sick and tired. Amen. And, and even in the next book, in Jeremiah, people were so deeply troubled. And, and God's prophet had to pronounce to them, even though they didn't want to hear it all the time, about the holy love of God. And that he would be like a, a, a fire in him and he would die if he didn't give them the message. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I, Isaiah came, amen, to bring the life blood of God, showing them what the word of God was about. The little Bible inside the Bible. My God, God had to come with instruction, reproving, rebuking, 
to shake loose the bondage of sin off of us. The chains have to break and be destroyed. Thank God, and then we will be sobered up by the presence of God, and God will show us the fork in the road. Which are you going to choose? Me or that way that used to be your comfort zone, but it was a way to hell. Which are you going to choose? Choose ye the better way. Choose ye this day whom ye will serve. Hallelujah. That's what God wants us to do. Thank God. The final question is this. Will we allow God to actually be our savior? Will we? Think about it. We say all of that as Christians. We get used to it. Yeah, Jesus is savior. But is he really your savior? All the way. Saved means you're saved. Not kind of saved. How are you going to kind of dangle from a, a, a safety rope that the helicopters, you know, they put that rope down there to pick you up out of that pit? I'm kind of holding it. No, you, you either are holding it or you're not. You either got pulled up or you didn't. Amen. Are you saved? Is he your savior? He will not forcibly save us against our will. No. And, and he will not deceive us into following his teachings and directives. I wish I could do that. Just do people and make them come into the house of God and get saved. But God said don't use tricks. Amen. Mm -hmm. People think we're going to save folks with barbecues. We're going to save folk giving them bagels up in the house of God and telling jokes and making them feel good about their sin. No, but that's not what church is about. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost came to make you feel uncomfortable in your sin. He wants to shake you loose of that. He wants you set free of it. He wants to deliver you from it. Clean you up from it. Hallelujah. Give yourself over to the master and watch him work. You see, God comes to us straight with the truth so that we can straighten up. The devil hides and conceals his lies. Yeah. But God gives us straight up truth. Why? So we can straighten up. Amen. Mm -hmm. Our earthly nature uh, interprets God's love as too abrasive, you know. But our uh, opposition is due to unholiness. He works more than we have to. Because, you know, God does most of it. We take one step, he takes two. And he's the uh, substitute, uh, the payment for our sin, right? All of that. So he, he works way more than we have to in this life of growing in love with his salvation grace. He is tenderly calling us to be saved and to make up our minds uh, so that uh, he will transform our mind. And then he can make up our saved mind, see, to serve his kingdom. He'll save you, but for a reason, so that you will serve, you will do lawful works of grace. Yeah. Amen. Grace came to save you and put you to work. Yeah. Not to make you cozy and sleepy. Amen. And hardly do anything. God needs to put you to work. You're going to be busy doing something. The old song says you're going to serve somebody. Amen. It might be the devil. It might be the Lord. But you got to what? Serve somebody and we're serving somebody whether we want to say it or not but God wants us to know that we have to work the works of him that sent us and there's going to come a day when it's what mother said too late keep preaching that scripture mother because Jesus is coming my God hallelujah anyhow but God is tenderly calling he's tenderly calling he wants us to make up our saved mind. 
And remember, what we savor will influence our behavior. What fruit does your spirit savor, actually? Won't you trust God to teach you how to love him better? What you savor will influence your behavior. Yes. Father God, we are thankful for health, life, and strength. We're thankful that you are yet tenderly calling. We thank you, Lord, that you are yet long-suffering to us with not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We want you to come in and do everything you came to do. Save us from ourselves. Completely. Completely save us. Hallelujah. We know you're able. Hallelujah, God. Do a new thing in me. Revive me. Hallelujah, God. So that I am set free. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We know you're able. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' matchless name. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Thank God. Thank God. We of the realm of Agape Christian Church pray that the Holy Word of God has richly blessed your soul. To send prayer requests, use the contacts page of our website, www.roagape.org. We need your continued prayers and financial support to maintain this ministry. You can also find a secure means of donating on our website. God bless you. Thank you.